Teaching math is hard, and it's even harder if you hate math. When you're an upper elementary teacher, you're expected to be an expert in all of the subjects. It can be tough to reach out to other teachers when you need help. And if you don't feel supported by your admin, then it's easy to feel completely lost and hopeless when it comes to teaching math. No wonder so many hate it. But don't worry, you're not alone. You're now part of the best unofficial math PLC for upper elementary teachers learning to love math. Hey teacher, and welcome to the Learning to Love Math podcast. I'm Brittany. I'm a teacher, math tutor, and the seller behind the Teachers Pay Teacher store, Math with Minis. In just two short years, I went from basically being math illiterate to having students make two years worth of gains with math in my classroom. I create courses and resources like this podcast to help third to fifth grade teachers foster math fact fluency and build skills for mental math in their classrooms. Welcome to our PLC. What would you say if I told you that the secret to having every single student succeed in your class with every single thing you teach in math this year comes down to you talking less and listening more? I know that when I heard that, my eyebrows went up and I had to bring Mona on to the Learning to Love Math podcast, so I'm super excited for today's episode. She's going to lay out exactly how she creates a community in her classroom around math every year that allows her students to have rich, meaningful math discussions and discourse, and how she really gets her students to not just practice the skills of a mathematician, but actually become one. It requires a total mindset shift, but it's one totally worth taking because she's eliminated those negative behaviors during math in her classroom, and her students actually look forward to it, and they complain if they don't have her math block. Wouldn't that be great to have that for you? I want that for you, and I definitely want for every student to succeed. I think they truly can when we meet them where they're at. Although I haven't said it a lot, really, I'm passionate about differentiation. That's why I've really harped on math fact fluency with you guys. It's because I truly believe in meeting every student where they're at. Mona believes that too, and I just can't wait for you to hear all of the actionable tips and strategies she has for you. I know that you're probably out walking your pet or exercising or in the car if you're hearing a podcast, but this is one that you're definitely going to want to go back to and take some notes because there's just so much good stuff here. But if you can't do that, I totally understand. So I'm going to give you my takeaways at the end, and I'm going to have all kinds of ways for you to connect and learn more from Mona in the show notes. Also, if you want to hear more from Mona, she is going to be one of the presenters at the 2022 Be A Math Person Conference. It's totally free January 7th through 9th, and you can get an all-access pass for $57, which includes a bonus item from Mona that's usually valued at $20-$25 each. So just the bundle alone is worth $250, but all-access pass holders get access to everything for a whole year. So if you don't think you're going to be available that weekend, or if you don't think you'll be able to get through everything that weekend, it's definitely still worth checking out and considering the all-access pass. Okay, without any further ado, let's get on to today's episode. All right, well, hello, welcome, or welcome back, everyone, to the Learning to Love Math podcast. I'm Brittany, although you already know that if you've been here for a while, and I am super excited today. I think I literally say that every episode, but I mean it every episode. I'm especially excited today to talk with Mona, and I was just telling her, I was scrolling through her Instagram, going through her site to prepare, and also just to have some talking points. And let me just say, Mona is a vibe, okay? Like every time I see her on Instagram, I'm just like, yes, like 
I've, I like hit the heart button several times, even though I know it doesn't do anything. Just like, yeah, like the emphatic, like <laughs> she's smiling on that. Um, and I just, I wanted to share some of these quotes before we kind of get into the interview that uh, have really spoken to me and other teachers just from seeing those comments on there. So she believes in students working together to make sure everyone understands. And what I really loved about that statement was that student actually said that, and she was kind of resonating with that, which I totally agree with. And one thing I really love that I remember stopped my scroll was that relationships form through listening more than helping. I cannot stress that enough, especially in any kind of coaching relationship, which is really what we're doing as teachers. We're coaching them through this process of learning. And that will become more abundantly clear when you think of the next quote, which is, we do not learn from experience. We learn from reflecting on experience. Now, Mona may not know this about me, but I actually was not an education major. I've talked a little bit about this on the podcast before. My major in undergraduate school was actually parts and recreation management, which is seemingly very different, but actually there's a very heavy emphasis on experiential learning because when you're taking people through hard things where their life is literally in danger, like hiking through the Grand Canyon, backpacking where there's no cell signal, people are in very vulnerable positions where they might have to work through things like trauma and anxiety, and there's no there's no way out, right? Like you have to go through it. And math, funny enough, is kind of similar because everyone agrees. Everyone agrees that math is necessary. We all know it's necessary for life and flourishing, but we don't all feel happy or even comfortable with it. And so for a lot of us, we're just trying to run through the canyon as fast as possible, which actually doesn't help us build the skills we need to be able to go through it with ease and enjoyment. So super excited about that. She's also really passionate about early numeracy experiences, not just literacy, clarity and community that begets student participation in the classroom, as well as a focus on engagement over compliance, which girl, when I saw that, I was like, whoo, this is going to be throwing lots of teachers the wrong way because it's hard. It's so hard to make that switch a compliant classroom to an engaged one. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Mona. Hey, it's so great to be here. Thanks so much for that introduction. I feel like you got like the essence of what I'm all about. So, Uh I mean, that was basically the best intro. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I find I'm trying something a little different because, you know, people usually give a bio when they're going to be on a podcast and they say, she's 30 something wife, mom, and, and those things are important too. But I feel like when you actually go through someone's content and you have content too, by the way, even if you're not a TPT seller or something, whatever you're putting out into the world is some kind of content. You can learn so much about someone. And so I always like to go through that first. So my first kind of question for you, Mona, I, I saw, and I think this is kind of your framework here. I really loved, I watched the video on your website. You guys should definitely, I'll go check that out. It is hashtag teacher goals for sure. Your framework of problem grapple discourse proof. I would love for you to just take a second and share that because I think if teachers could really understand that a lot of the pressure of feeling like the expert would be taken off. Yeah. So this idea that you can take any worthy math task and have kids spend some time in productive struggle, right? So if you, um, find it in your curriculum or anywhere on the internet where there, you know, there's tons of places to look for good quality math tasks and you launch it with your students. That's kind of the first step. And that could be helping them read it, helping them understand the context and the story. And then they grapple and they spend some time working independently. And this can start as early as kindergarten where kids just are going to solve on their own. And I'll be honest with you, I'm back in third grade from middle school this year, and I forgot how much 
effort it takes to build those skills of like, no, this is hard and you got to work through it on your own. And so we've got to do that work too, to be able to make sure that that grapple time is productive. During that grapple time, that's where I'm kind of conferencing and listening in to how students are solving. And then we get to the discussion and that's where I choose the couple students to share their math work and I make it visual. So whether I put it under, you know, the document camera or I chart it up and we make it visual so we can all see it and all refer back to it. It is our text, right? Just like in reading, when we have our text that we're referring back to for our evidence, that's what the the math work becomes in our discussion. So we have a discussion and it's kind of guided by, you know, learning targets that I have in mind, but it really starts with like that work and then where students take the conversation in their observations of that work. We kind of follow that thinking and build on it in, in search of a math truth. And so I'm always trying to get them to end in this like nice little package with a bow on top. It doesn't always go that way, but that's the hope, right? So that we can end with like, yeah, you know, the distributive property means we can break that number down and multiply each part of that number by four instead of multiplying that number by, you know, that one number by four. I could break it down or whatever. So it'd be great if we always ended in a math truth, but we don't. But that's the goal of the discussion is just to kind of like get through that content and get it all in the student's word. That takes the place of the me standing at the board. Okay. So that's kind of where the, the figuring out comes in. And then the last part is kind of this like time for students to revise their work. So if actually today I taught a problem where we we're talking about the distributive property and students broke down 28 into 20 and eight or 10 and 10 and eight. And they had to multiply 28 by four in a context. And so we kind of got to that truth, but they weren't really able to name it, you know? So I kind of nudged and gave them some language to talk about it. Then I gave them an opportunity to go back and revise their math work that they had done during the grapple and apply what they had seen in the discussion, apply what their friends had said, and then any revelations that they had made while they were talking about it in their own work. And so that's kind of the four steps. I call that like the four steps to teach anything, because truly you can teach anything that way, not just math. But yeah, it's honestly the thing that changed it all for me, really. I love that so much because I think part of the stress that at least the teachers go through is that we feel like we have to be content experts and there should be to a degree, like I do, I do think it's good to strive for expertise. Like we should always be looking to learn more. And even if just for our own confidence, like learn enough so that you feel good about teaching it, like that's still time well spent. That's definitely where I was in the first two years of teaching. It's like, you're learning how to teach and then also learning like oh my gosh, long division. I haven't had to think about this for a long time. And I have to go back and actually like reteach myself how to do this. And not only teach yourself how to do the content, but how to teach the content. It's like, you're learning so many different skills, but the way that you just structured it, or I shouldn't even say the way you've structured it, the way that you've just explained it, you don't have to necessarily be the expert. The focus isn't on the expertise you have or what you know. It's about getting the students to develop their expertise and draw out what they know and talk about it. Like when you were saying, getting them to talk about it and listening to others' discussions, I was just like, oh, yes, because when they can name things and define things themselves in their own words, that's when the learning happens. You might've been someone to share this too, but I know I just saw recently someone saying, 
The one who's doing the doing is doing the learning. And that is so true, right? If we're the ones spending all of our time and stress and energy to just go up in there and teach at them so they sit and get, you know, I I just made a post about this. Like, we're not here to stand and deliver. I know that's a teacher favorite movie. I'm sorry, but that's really not what we're here for. We're not here to just like shout at them, really. It's, It's about them having that opportunity. So love that so much. I was actually just saying before the podcast started, if a teacher went and saw the videos on your site, they would just be like, wow, she has it so together. So if someone wants to get to that point where they can really facilitate a classroom learning environment like that, where can they go if they're still in this, the stage of like, I still am not even sure that I like math myself. I don't feel like I'm a math person. How can they get to that point? Yeah. I think that it goes back to like, talk less, listen more. And it's as simple as that. And in order to do that, you really do have to know the math because we have to be able to like, know where we want our students to go. So I totally like resonate with what you said about like learning the content and how to teach like all together at once. Like that was absolutely my story. I was like, not until my fifth year teaching where I was like, all right, I guess I'll spend some time thinking about planning math (laughs) because like up until then I was just like, oh, let me just read the script from the math curriculum because that's what we're supposed to do. Right. Like we're supposed to use our curriculum. And so It wasn't until like my fifth year of teaching, teaching third grade right along with my students that I'm literally learning math for the first time. It felt like, right. Like I'm discovering what fractions like equivalent fractions. And why did I multiply the numerator and the denominator? Like I learned that trick, but I was learning the content because we were doing things hands-on and we were, you know, really taught spending time and going slow and talking about it. But yeah, I think the first step in creating a classroom that I like to say is student centered, right. Is to talk less and listen more. And you do that because you know what multiplication is, you know, what division is, you know, where we're going, find out where your students current understanding is. I feel like when kids are learning to read We expect that their skills will grow little by little every time they practice. But in math, we're like, yo, you're in third grade. Here you go. Here's your standards here. Lesson 11 in chapter two, you got to learn it and master it and move on. And like, that's not how learning works. If we understand the math, if we understand our standards and trajectory, and you understand how those skills build, then when you're listening to your students, you can see where they are in their understanding. And then when you do talk, when you do ask them questions or you do offer those little nuggets of info, they're strategic in moving your student ahead just to the next step in that trajectory. That's how we get learning that lasts, right? That's how we get our kids to remember this stuff in two units from now, because you're not just standing up there and being like, so then you're going to do this. They'll probably do it, but that doesn't mean they're going to remember it or that they actually learned it. I don't know if that actually answered your question or not. I think, I think you're totally right about the listening more and also watching more too. And, And not just like listening to them, but listening for things. When I learned how to like listen for misconceptions, it's so simple. What, what do I, what can I anticipate when I'm planning a lesson that they're probably going to understand incorrectly? That simple tweak has changed so much because if I can be prepared then one, again, that confidence, I just feel so much more prepared going in. Therefore I'm, you know, I'm less stressed. I have an easygoing flow. And this also kind of comes back to classroom management too. There's this kind of presence that you command when you come into a room, when you're confident and you're prepared, 
it's not the fact that you have everything printed out, although that helps. It's the fact that like you're saying, and you know, like I've got this, the kids feel confident because they're like, okay, this is a safe space. The teacher's prepared. Okay, let's do this. And they can take those risks. But if we feel timid and we're, we feel scared, that's kids are very intuitive, even though they can't label it yet, that's energy is going to come off of you. I, that sounds kind of woo woo, but I really do believe that I've seen it. Like if, if you are coming in and prepared, it's going to be stressful for you. And it actually is stressful for them too. So yeah, listening more, listening for misconceptions, being better prepared. And what you also said about learning the content, which I know that's hard. I, I know that when you are not, when you feel like you're not good at something, or maybe, you know, you're not good at something. It's so hard to then discipline yourself to spend time on it because you're like, Oh, this sucks. I don't enjoy it. I don't like it. And I know that like the conversations I've had on Instagram, a lot of those folks are even scared to comment on my posts because they don't want other teachers to see that they agree. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're so afraid of like what others think of them. And maybe that's you if you're listening. And if so, I want you to, my heart goes out to you. I've been very transparent on this podcast and saying like, I'm not, I do not consider myself an expert. My, my goal for this podcast is to bring experts to you to share their expertise, but also to share the mindset with you, because it really is a lot of mind work to be able to overcome anxiety and maybe past traumas that you've had with math and even just having the mindset going in to be able to prepare yourself to learn. It's so huge. And so I want to give you credit for listening because this is a math podcast. You could be listening to music. You could be listening to something like to make you feel good, but I promise you taking that extra time and step to make yourself more competent and confident. is just going to do so much for you. So like good on you for doing that. I also want to share just like a little brief little plug, shameless plug here. We are going to be hosting the Be a Math Person Conference January 7th through 9th. It is totally free that weekend. So I'm going to keep telling you so you don't forget. 7th through the 9th, it's free that weekend. And then after that, it goes up to $57 to get year long access. But I want you guys to get it free if that's what you need. So January 7th through 9th, okay? And I will be sure to put that link in the show notes. You can also always message me for it. Okay, Mona. So I want to know more about your story. You kind of already shared some tidbits. I would love to know, like, did you always want to be a teacher? Are you a like fourth career teacher like me? How did that come about? Yeah. I mean, when you talk about building confidence, I'm like, oh my gosh, I so feel that because like I already said, I was, I did not go into teaching to be a math teacher. I definitely knew I wanted to be a teacher since like the first or second day of kindergarten. I'm one of those people, right. That read to their dolls and all that, but I 100% avoided math and told myself I'm not a math person from nearly my earliest memory of math. I can't, I actually don't have any elementary school memories of liking math or a positive experience, which is so common, right? I'm sure, like you said, people are listening to this and are like, yep, that's me. I'm a teacher and I have got to teach math, but I'm not a math person. Like that's hundred percent me. I finally, in my fifth year of teaching, felt confident with planning all the other things that I was like, okay, let me dive into math. How are we going to make this better? And that's when I kind of learned about this approach based on the constructivist theory, right? That kids can construct meaning from experiences. And I worked at an experiential learning school. So it fit right in with the uh, mission there. And I was very well supported there at developing, you know, some strategies to help kids experience math, but that it truly changed everything. When I started thinking about intentionally creating a math classroom community, we create classrooms of readers and writers, you know, and 
the twinkle lights and the bins of books and all the things that make reading so magical in our classrooms. And I was like, we got to do that in math. Like these kids have to start thinking and seeing and knowing themselves as mathematicians. And so that's when I started really thinking about like, what are our math affirmations? What are our norms? What are, you know, the warmups that are going to lead into not just practice of skills, but practice of the thinking skills, I should say. Like, I want them to practice those thinking skills, not just the, you know, doing the operation. So I started to think about how we could use every part of our math block to practice like the math practice standards, essentially. It quickly changed everything from the time of day where I had the most behavior problems to the time of day where like kids were like mad if we skipped it because something else was going on. I still feel, and like when you were like, I'm not an expert, like I still feel that way. I feel like teaching math is so intimidating. That's what I'm hoping to bring to like my teacher besties and like all the people on the internet are my teacher besties. I'm here to help you create that classroom community because that's where it all starts. So if you watch that video, there's a few videos of me um, on my website. If you watch that, that didn't start because I did a certain curriculum or I did a certain math warm up or math task. That started because I changed my thinking and that thinking helped me change my classroom community. And so in addition to talk less, listen more, think about your community, think about the vi like creative math vision. That's kind of another one of the things I talk about a lot is what do you envision your math classroom being like, feeling like, looking like, sounding like, and spend some time thinking about that. And oftentimes teachers form their math vision as like the opposite of their own experience, right? Like I don't want to single kids out and have them come to the board. I don't want to do all these things that happened to me that were traumatic. So thinking about my math vision and creating that community are really kind of like what has have brought me here to this moment. So that's kind of my story. I, I get really excited about sharing the things that work for me and talking with teachers about, you know, their struggles and how they can create that vision and make it that vision come to life. In addition to teaching third graders and raising a couple toddlers. So, you know, that's me. <laughs> I took some notes about some things you said. I want to go back for a second, just for the people who are listening, what you said about meeting them where they're at. If a student is struggling with phonics, like phonemic awareness, we would not expect them to be able to read a fourth grade novel and to be able to articulate the main idea in writing and also explain, like, we wouldn't do that. We would like, yeah, that's crazy talk. Like, why would we ask them to do that when they're not there yet? You know, and it's not to say they can't get there and they could still, you know, listen to the, to the story and then retell the main idea. They can do those things. But if they can't do the basics of reading, why would we expect them to read on level text? Like, of course you wouldn't, right? I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast, they would say like, oh, literacy is my jam. I love social studies. It's the same exact thing. We need to have opportunities build those skills. That's kind of why I've made like math facts my thing, because as simple, it's so simple. It's so simple, but simple doesn't always mean easy. And if you don't have those simple foundations, it just makes it so much harder for them later on. But the cool thing talking about math and those thinking skills, Mona was saying is that kids can do that no matter where they're at. They can learn to think and she's not in her head. You can learn to think like a mathematician, even if you don't have those basic like computational skills yet, which is really, really cool. Also, I love what you said about a community around the math classroom, because 
the way you say it is you make it like an event that the kids are looking forward to. I think that's so different. Even just phrasing it that way and treating it like that is so different than saying like, oh, our math block or like, oh, this thing we have to do. Like it kind of comes back again to us. And I know that can be so hard because teachers are constantly bombarded with like, you have to do this. And like, you know, one more thing. And I, I hear you there. It's so hard. It's, it's not our fault that the classroom is the way it is necessarily as far as education but it is our responsibility to make our classroom a community for our students and for ourselves and for our sanity, to be honest. I mean, she mentioned that her classroom management was better. A lot of times I think we go right to like the rewards or incentives or like discipline or whatever, but we don't think of the cause, right? Like why are the kids acting out? And if the kids are truly engaged in their learning, they won't have even time because they won't be bored, but then also they feel connected to you. They're so thankful and grateful that they get to have a chance to explore those skills in a safe spot. So just so much good stuff that you shared there. And the cool thing is just as a interviewer, you answered all three of my sub questions. So, all right. So I would love for you to share a little bit about like the community piece. I know that's really big for you. How can a teacher, if they're listening to this, they may be thinking that they can't get more content knowledge right now at this moment. I would think that you'd say, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I would think that you'd say that you can start the community right now. Like you can build community starting tomorrow, right? So what are some ways that you done that in your classroom and how could they do that as like the groundwork? Yeah, I, I think you're right. Like about the content knowledge, like that's not going to come overnight. But one thing I was going to say about that, just as an aside is solve every single task you give your kids. That is such a great way to build your own content knowledge. And honestly, that's how I learned third grade math over again was I solved every task, not just the way that I thought about it initially, but I tried to think of like all the ways I could solve it. That's a great way to build your content knowledge and not save you or, and save you time because you have to plan for the task anyway. And then you go in confident because you've, you've tried to think through it in all the different ways that kids are going to solve it. But I would say like, if you're going to do something different today, if you're like listening on your way to work or, you know, tomorrow, if you're listening on your prep or something is start having math discussions. You said this earlier of like, every kid can think like a mathematician and every kid can notice and wonder. And it's, it's like the most inclusive instructional practice. I feel like, because even if you aren't ready to reason the way that the student's who are sharing our reasoning, you can still listen. You can still think about their reasoning. And that's powerful. When we show kids that are like, like you said, maybe at, you know, several grade levels below, when we show them that we believe they belong here, right? You we're all in this together. We're like my student said, we are all responsible for helping each other understand that tells students I believe that you can do this work. And so I love that because there's this new phrase of like offering scaffolding, like just in time, not just in case, right? Oh, just in case you don't understand, I'm going to have you sit over here and have your own discussion. No, 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 no. I want us all, we're all together because we can all do this work. And if, if you need something in that time, of course, you know, I'm going to be there. I'm going to, you know, switch to a turn and talk and swoop in and talk to your group or something to support you just in time. But that idea that like, we are a community that is working together to make sure we all understand is powerful. And you, you know, your, your community has to be based on some mindsets. And so you get to decide what those are, right? Like my thing is, is like thinking matters more here than answers because I'm not creating calculators. 
I am creating thinkers, thinkers of the next world that we want. And I want those thinkers to value perspective. I want those thinkers to say, I'm here to listen to what you have to say, because I have something to learn from you, because that's the kind of world that's going to be, you know, the one that I want to grow old in. A hundred percent. When you're saying like the not scaffolding for just in case I was like, Whoo, because, okay, my school. So I live and work on a reservation and obviously I'm a white lady. Like anyone who even just listens to me knows that. Okay. So I, I'm not Apache. So I, I know that I'm coming in with like my own beliefs, my own thoughts, my own background. It's not the same as here culturally. But one thing I noticed that when I first, when I first got here was I feel like we were already just the way we were talking about the kids, we were already assuming they were going to fail. I mean, it's messed up to even say it, but I think that a lot of us do that unintentionally, not even realizing we do it. It's like, like even just the words that we use. I actually told my students, actually, I told them this yesterday again. I said, we don't use the words hope and try in here. And that sounds kind of harsh, but the reason is because even if they can't get the desired result of whatever we're looking at, they can still practice those skills that you were just talking about. They can still do those things. They can still have a discussion. So I'm not just grading on effort, which I don't really like believe in, because how can you assess effort? But what you can assess are, is, are they practicing those skills? So even if you don't, you know, have a product, a product, you know, the actual product I'm looking for is the process. Are they taking the time to have those discussions? And are they are, are they articulating that if they don't know, like, are they looking for ways to understand better? Because that shows that they're an aware learner as well, which means that their independence or taking responsibility, those are the things I'm really looking for. So love that you shared that. I believe that students can do hard things. And I think that starts with us setting a very rigorous, high standard in our classroom. And sometimes it looks like tough love from the teacher and the kids will know that you love them. Like, don't, don't be afraid to have that kind of assertive tone in there because if you're setting that community from the get-go they all know that you know that they can strive for more and that will encourage them to push harder too so i just wanted to add that in there all right so thank you so much for sharing the things about the community so i know that you also make resources for teachers because if again if you look at her website which you all should by the way i'm gonna link it in the show notes it's just beautiful i was literally messaging her the other day like where did you get a designer and she's like oh i did it myself and i was like what so it's beautiful. Um, she really, you can just tell right away what she cares about. And she has, looks like she makes some resources. So if teachers wanted to get that, if they wanted help making their classrooms more engaging and more community-based and having students help each other to understand what a beautiful thing, where could they go to find that? And what kind of resources do you have? Yeah. So that's great. Thank you. Thank you for the compliment. I actually just redesigned my website because I'm changing the name of it. So, you know, whenever this podcast is out, I'm sure I have a new name. So it's monamath.com. So check it out. But I have a free discussion guide on there. So it's a guide to engaging math discussions. And I go through all the things I was talking about and a lot more. And I give you like my best tips. And I took like the frequently asked questions from teachers and I'm trying to answer those for you. So that's free. And that's where I would start. And then, yeah, like watch the free videos on my website. And if you're ready to kind of jump into creating a classroom community in your math class, and obviously it's great to do that in August and September, but you can absolutely do it in 
December or April or May or whatever, whenever you've got the time and you're ready. And you can check out on my Teachers Pay Teachers website. I have my classroom norms. I have math affirmations and just all sorts of things, some reflections on there, all sorts of things to build your classroom community. And then I also have some like monthly packs of math warm-up and problems that you can do what I described um, earlier, kind of that problem of the day. So if you are not all about trying to find tasks or look for them in your curriculum, you can download those and there's a problem for every day of the month. So that's kind of the paid resources. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably it. Oh, and I have a podcast too, and it's just a baby podcast. I'm just starting. So yeah, I'd love for you to listen along and hang out with me there. It's called Honest Math Chat because if you haven't gathered by now, I'm just all about kind of keeping it real. And I do, I, you you said in my introduction, like, yeah, that's going to ruffle some feathers. Like that's kind of just what I do. <laughs> I say the thing that's true. My colleagues are always like, you always say the thing that's in my head that I never say. And so that's kind of what we're doing over at Honest Math Chat. I love that. And I think it, it needs we need to have more of that because there's too much, I think even in the teacher world of we do things because we think that's how they have to be done or because that's how they have been done or that's how our mentor teachers done it. And the truth is like, there are, there are best practices, I think instructionally, but our classrooms are so different because we're different people. I'm sure that my, I run my classroom very differently than Mona does. You know, it's just, it's just how it is, right? We're different people and that's okay. Kids are so versatile and resilient. Like they easily switch between teacher styles. Like they get it. They can figure it out. They're super, super smart. And I think when we start giving them that credit and also giving ourselves credit, like believing that we can do it. So often we tell our students, like, you can do hard things, growth mindset. But then when we have to do something hard, when we have to change it up, we're like, oh, no, I don't want to, you know, and I'm speaking for myself too, because, you know, we're switching one curriculum again. And I'm like, really? And of course, there are some good reasons why, like, sometimes it's not a good time to change something. There's all kinds of things there. But if we want to grow as teachers, we have to grow as teachers. And that is an active thing. It's not passive. We have to go out and look for those opportunities. If you can have one takeaway today, if you can have teachers walking away from this podcast, knowing or believing in one thing, what would it be? Well, I think it relates back to what you were talking about, about walking through the Canyon, hiking the Canyon. And this idea of, we don't learn from experience, but we learn from reflecting on experience. And when you give your students opportunities to experience math in whatever way that is, but on their own, without you telling them what to do. And they have that experience. And then you give them that time to reflect on that experience in a math discussion that builds not only math understanding that last, but it builds character. That's what it's all about. If you just walk through the Canyon with your guide and your group, okay, you did it. But if you spend time like unpacking what that experience was and what it meant to you and how it felt such a richer experience. And so when we give our students that time to unpack what they're doing and name it themselves, we give them an experience of math. That's so much more rich and real world than, you know, just following the procedures. So I really think that like the takeaway I hope folks get is this idea of like, how can you build in more time for your students to talk and talk to each other and reflect on their own and each other's math thinking? I love that. And I think that teachers could stand, we could all stand to do more of that ourselves too. Always looking for opportunities to reflect on our own learning, even just reflecting on our day, our whole day 
and not just thinking, oh man, today sucked, but like, okay, this one thing sucked. What could I do tomorrow to make it better? And how much more are you going to look forward into going to school every day when you know that you have control over what you do, your actions, your responses, and that we're not just reactive, that we're proactive when we're teaching. Mona, it has been such a pleasure and a privilege to have you here on the Learning Love Math podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can they find you if they want to connect with you and learn more? Yeah. Okay. So definitely hang out with me, message me on Instagram. Instagram name is hello.mona.math, formerly local learners. So it's the same girl, different name. If you already follow me, but hang out with me there, send me messages and definitely check out my website, monamath.com and listen to the podcast. I'd love to share in this podcast with all of you share the earbud space. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much, Mona. Thank you. This has been so great. Bye. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I always feel like I learned so much from other teachers. I truly believe that conversations and reflection like this is the best PD, right? It's the best learning we can possibly do. And when we reflect on our learning, when we reflect on our teaching, we just become better learners, students, and teachers. So let's talk about the major takeaways. I love her framework of problem, grapple, discourse, proof. And I love that even if you don't feel like you can become a content expert tomorrow, you can become a better math teacher just by doing the problems with the students, right? That's something you could start tomorrow if you wanted or, you know, Monday if this is a weekend. And you can just talk less and listen more. Once you learn more about the content, you'll have a better understanding of which misconceptions to listen for and what you should really be watching and looking for. But even just by doing that, you're gonna have less stress because you don't have to have a whole lecture prepared, right? You're just setting them up to have the discussion. We talked a bit about reflecting on the learning and how that's great for students and teachers. It's also so important to build a community and foster true authentic experiences around math. I did an episode where I interviewed Lauren Dowdy about creating authentic learning experiences. Definitely go back and check that one out. I believe it was episode 19. I could be wrong though on the episode numbers, but definitely go check out that one. Mona also believes it's super important to make the classroom truly student-centered, which I believe she does and I believe it's good to do. To have a vision for your math classroom and to make sure that you're taking steps to make that actually happen and to set the groundwork and the expectations so that can happen. I love that her own student said that we, as in all the people in the classroom, are responsible for helping everyone understand. And I believe that when we take on that mindset and when we practice it, we can truly make sure that every single student succeeds every single time. What a beautiful thing. And then lastly, the last takeaway is thinking matters more than the answers. That we're truly creating a generation of thinkers and not just calculators. What a huge shift. I really hope that you connect with Mona over on Instagram and that you listen to her podcast, Honest Math Chat. I also really hope that you join us at the 2022 Be a Math Person Conference. I will be sure to put that link in the show notes for you. She's going to be presenting on fostering that community and it's just gonna be so good. I can't wait for it and just for you to see all these awesome speakers we have. If you can't catch the conference, or even if you are, definitely check out her freebie about building community. It's so good. I went and checked it out because I was curious. Great stuff. I'll be sure to link that on the show notes as well as her account on Instagram, her website, where you can go watch her teaching in action on her website, on her videos there. And definitely go follow her podcast, Honest Math Chats. Okay, I think that's it for now. I'll see you over on Instagram at Math with Minis. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Learning to Love Math podcast. It's not lost on me that you've chosen to spend part of your day listening to this episode, and I am so grateful for that. I would absolutely love it if you would share this podcast with a few of your upper elementary teacher friends. You can also subscribe to this podcast on whatever app you're using to listen and set it to automatically download. This helps me to get more people to find out about this podcast, and it saves you some time in the morning. We'd also love to see you at the Be a Math Person conference happening January 7th through 9th, 2022. It's completely virtual and online, and you can do it in your pajamas because it's totally asynchronous. It'll be free from January 7th through 9th. You'll be able to access everything. Or if you purchase Insider Access for $57, you'll be able to access all of the content for a whole year. Insiders also get access to a bonus pack of worksheets, activities, and all other kinds of goodies that the presenters are contributing to this year. So it is definitely worth the price of $57. You can register by heading to this podcast episode's show notes by checking out the Math with Minis website, or just go ahead and message me on Instagram and I will get you the link. You can follow me on Instagram over at Math with Minis. We hope to see you there.